For Arizona Public Media, I'm Tim Swindle, director of the University of Arizona's Lunar and Planetary Laboratory, and this is Arizona Science. Joining me today is Dave Sand, an assistant professor of astronomy at the University of Arizona. Welcome, Dave. Good to be here. You've been in the news recently for helping to pinpoint the source of a gravitational wave, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about the work that led to that. You have something called the DLT-40 survey. Could you explain what DLT-40 stands for and a little bit about what that is? The first part is simple. DLT-40 means distance less than 40 megaparsecs. And so a megaparsec is about 3 million light years. And so we're looking at galaxies within about 120 million light years of our own galaxy. We look at them about 500 galaxies a night, night after night after night, because we're looking for supernova. And the interesting thing about our survey is that we look at the same galaxies night after night after night. And so if I look at my galaxy last night and I look again tonight and there's a new source there, a, a supernova, I know that it exploded within the last 24 hours because I looked last night and it wasn't there. And so that's the whole point of our survey. We don't find a lot of supernova, but the ones that we do find are very young. That makes them very juicy for understanding what kind of star exploded into what type of supernova. So why is it important to see a supernova in the first 24 hours? What's special about that? Well, as an astronomer, I really care about what kind of stars die and become what type of supernova. Mapping the, the types of stars that turn into what types of supernovas, you know, relatively unknown at this point. When you catch a supernova very young... Uh, there are certain aspects to it. You could see what's called the shock breakout. So when the star first explodes, the ejecta move out from the center of the star. And once they hit the surface of the star, there's an X-ray flash. And as that flash cools over the hours to days afterwards, that light peaks from the X-ray to the UV to the optical. If you do a little bit of math on that, light, and if you track that as a function of time, you could back out what the radius of the star was that exploded. It's just a fancy way of measuring what size star just exploded into a supernova. How big is the telescope that you're using for this? It's really tiny. It's, re it's just an amateur telescope. It's 16 inches. It's something you could buy off the shelf. It's a little fancier in the sense that it's totally robotic. So there's lots of software behind it that basically implements our schedule every night and just zooms from field to field to field. This is the only way we could observe like 500 galaxies a night. How do you fit into the story of the gravitational wave? So we receive these alerts from LIGO and Virgo and they pinpoint on the sky. Actually, they don't pinpoint at all. They, they give us a very large region on the sky where the gravitational wave event might have happened. So what we do is we cross-list all of the galaxies we look at night to night with that error region on the sky and just pluck them off one by one at very high priority. Now, the event that we're going to talk about, I guess, was special in the sense that we knew it wasn't sort of a normal black hole-black hole merger. We knew it had the potential of having a uh, what's called an electromagnetic counterpart associated with it something that may emit light that we could see with our telescopes. Uh, so we knew it was special, uh, and so we really got ready earlier in the day to make sure that we were really on target that night. Uh, it turns out there were like 20 of our galaxies within the field that we expected the LIGO source to be in, 
and we just went to town on them as soon as we could. How bright was this object compared to the supernovae that you find? In the days afterwards, it faded um, by over a factor of three per night which is very unusual for a new supernova. So it didn't look like a supernova at all. We knew something special was about it, uh, but its original brightness was roughly that of, of a faintish supernova. The origin of this kilonova is thought to be what? When two neutron stars collide, there's a big mess afterwards. Some of the material gets ejected, and that neutron-rich material bounces or collides with large nuclei producing heavier and heavier elements. Some of those elements, they're radioactive, and so they produce light in copious amounts. So it's, it's radioactivity on a very large scale. It's called the R process, where you get bigger and bigger nuclei through neutron collisions with heavy nuclei. This is Tim Swindle, and this has been Arizona Science. You can also listen to this and other Arizona Science segments by going to the Arizona Public Media website at azpm.org.